Sitting waiting for the general to invite himself to dinner wasn't my idea of fun. Slam. The back door banged. Gramps! I screamed. Gramps! Don't go out there! I was too late. I rushed to the back door and threw it open. I couldn't see any frogs because they were lining up in the front yard, and I couldn't see Gramps. Where was he? Come on, Rory! said a muffled voice. Start her up! Well, let him have it! Where was Gramps? What was he up to? The voice was coming from the vegetable garden. The wheelbarrow. A large metal dustbin was sitting in the wheelbarrow. Suddenly the lid of the bin popped open and Gramps' head poked out. He was wearing a pair of goggles and pointing towards the front yard. Oh, weird, weird, weird. Gramps thought the wheelbarrow was a tank. He was back in the Second World War, attacking the enemy. Oh, what the hell? I yelled to myself. We've got to do something. I raced into the garden and pushed Gramps' head back inside the bin. Stay there, I said, until I tell you. Charge! Came Gramps' excited voice from inside the bin. I grabbed the handles and started to push the bin around to the front yard. Gramps was heavy, but there was a slight downhill slope, and the cement path made it fairly easy. Faster and faster. There. There they were. The tiny frogs were still leaping to their doom. The general frog was still gorging himself. I gasped. He was as big as a full-grown cow. The general took no notice of me. Neither did the line of frogs. They must have been too intent on what they were doing. Or they hadn't seen me. I had no time to think as I headed down the path towards the general. The wheelbarrow started to wobble from side to side. I couldn't keep it upright. Tank traps! Came Gramps' muffled voice. Keep going! I was nearly there. I stared into the Frog General's huge, gaping mouth. I looked into his cruel eyes. They were as big as soccer balls. They swivelled as he fixed me with a wet glare. He started to roll his tongue back into his mouth. I knew without a doubt what he was going to do. He was going to slurp me up and slide me down his throat. Now! I screamed. Fire! Gramps' head popped out of the bin and the general forgot all about me. His rolled tongue was already coiled like a spring. Gramps' shaking hands held the sack of salt in the air, but it was too heavy for him. He began to sink down into the bin. Thwack! The frog general cracked out his tongue like a giant whip just as Gramps' head disappeared into the bin. The general's tongue plucked the sack from Gramps' hand as if it was no more than a fly sitting on a leaf. In a flash, it was gone. Swallowed. The wheelbarrow tipped over and we both fell sprawled onto the ground. Landmine! He yelled. A blasted landmine! We stared up at the frog. For a moment, the world seemed to stand still. Nothing moved. Then the general began to moan. His pimpled green skin started to stretch. His bloated body bulged and quivered. Bang! The frog general exploded like a monster balloon that had been pricked by a pin. Thousands of bits of green muck hurtled into the air. They began to fall. Green and brown goo dripped down over the lawn and the house. Shreds of dead frog covered my hair and windcheater. The gum tree seemed to bear rotting green fruit. Yahoo! yelled Gramps. We got him! The general's croaked it! He did an excited little rain dance on the lawn. 
There were a few thousand frogs left still standing in line. They seemed paralysed by the loss of their leader. For a few seconds they just stood there, like a queue at McDonald's that's just heard the hamburgers have run out. Gramps danced away in front of them, but he was celebrating too soon. I stared at the blasted bits of the frog general which covered the landscape. They began to writhe and squirm. They were growing little legs and eyes. The pieces of the general were turning into more frogs. Thousands of them. Quick! I screamed. Back to the house! But I was too late. The frogs were already heading there themselves. Leaping and bounding like a swarm of lumpy locusts, they spread across the lawn and poured into the house. They ignored Gramps. They ignored me. So what were they after? Gramps and I waded through the door. The frogs were swarming into Mum and Jack's room. They were into the clothes cupboard. They were all over Mum's jeans and wedding dress. Then it hit me. The frogs were not after me. They were not after Gramps. They were after Eileen. My mum. Chapter 2 I was huddled in a rickety roadside fruit stall about to die. Killer sheep with razor-sharp steel wool were thundering towards me on a bone-crushing tractor. To make things worse, I was hugging a stepmother I didn't even like. I should have been praying. I should have been screaming for Dad. Instead, I was having shameful thoughts. I remembered the earlier sheep attacks with the fork and the rake and the wrecker's ball all aimed at my stepmother. It's Eileen they're after, I told myself, not me. I could run for it. I could sprint down the road and they wouldn't even see me go. They'd be too busy stabbing Eileen and ploughing her into the ground. I peeped through a crack to see if I had enough time to get out. Yes, the tractor was several seconds away. If I flung open the door and ran, I could make it. Now. Do it now. I didn't move. Instead, I stared at Mum's shoe, lying where I dropped it on the dusty road in front of the advancing tractor. I couldn't leave Eileen. She might be a pain. She might have stolen Dad from me, but she was Rory's mum. Then an amazing thing happened. The sheep saw the shoe. Their eyes widened. Their stiff steel wool gleaming in the morning sun seemed to bristle. Just before the tractor ran over the shoe, one of the sheep pushed at the steering wheel with its front legs and the tractor swerved. It thundered past the fruit stall. The walls shook. Eileen swore. We were showered with dust and old price tickets. I kicked open the door and peered out, just in time to see the tractor veer across the road and hit a large rock. All four sheep flew through the air. Three of them crashed down into the undergrowth. They scrambled to their feet, leaves and twigs impaled on their wool, and glared at me. Chest thumping, I waited for them to charge. But they didn't. They glared a bit more, then turned and ran off down the road. I looked around anxiously for the fourth sheep. At first I couldn't see it. Then I heard grunting and looked up. The sheep was halfway up a large tree, the steel wool on its back embedded in the trunk, its legs sticking out in surprise. It started to kick and snort. After a while, it tore itself free and fell to the ground. From that height, it should have been history. It wasn't. It stood up, gave me an evil look and came towards me. My insides went rigid with terror. Then I had an idea. I picked up Mum's shoe and pointed it at the sheep. The sheep stopped. It took a step backwards. For a few seconds, it seemed to be frozen. Then it turned and ran off down the road, a large scab of bark still stuck to its back. I hugged Mum's shoe, weak with relief. 
but I was puzzled. Why had the sheep swerved? Why had they all run off? Was it just that they didn't like dead people's footwear? Or did Mum's shoe have some sort of special power? My thoughts were interrupted by Eileen staggering out of the fruit stall. She had a price ticket in her hair, two ninety-nine a kilo. She looked shocked and dazed and her sling was crooked and I felt pretty bad that I'd thought of nicking off and leaving her. Sometimes you had to take responsibility for people even though it was your dad who invited them into your life. The sheep have gone, I said, for now. Eileen nodded slowly, her eyes darting around. She seemed to be having trouble taking stuff in, even really short sentences. I went over to the tractor. It had flipped over and was sitting in a puddle of diesel, wheels still spinning. I thought perhaps we could ride it back to town, but the engine looked pretty crumpled. Then I heard a faint sound, soft and high-pitched. Bah! I tensed and gripped Mum's shoe. I looked around frantically. Was there a fifth sheep with a dodgy voice about to drop out of a tree? Then I saw it, huddled near the tractor, a tiny lamb about three days old. It had something wrong with its leg and looked like it was in pain. Normally, I'd have picked it up. I'd nursed quite a few injured lambs in my time. Dad reckoned I had the touch. But when those sheep on the wreckers' ball had turned to steel, part of me had too. Go on, I said to the lamb. Shoo! The lamb didn't move. Eileen came over. Poor little thing, she said. The lamb barred pitifully and looked up at her with big eyes. Eileen picked it up. Be careful, I said, wondering if I was turning into one of those people who couldn't feel sympathetic even in sad movies. You poor thing, said Eileen to the lamb. What's wrong? I saw instantly what was wrong as Eileen...